Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. morning to you on this uh, Friday morning. So we started this week uh, with Memorial Day, and, you know, we were anticipating a a short, peaceful week. That's what I was anticipating. And then on the evening of Memorial Day, um, George Floyd lost his life in the city of Minneapolis under the knee of a police officer. Let me start today by um, proclaiming, announcing, reminding all of us that this coming Sunday is Pentecost, and maybe we need the Holy Spirit more right now than we consciously have in the recent past. And so let us be uh, asking the Lord to send a fresh wind of His Spirit. Now, as some people pray for that, they are going to be asking for justice to roll down like waters. And I'm going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about um, the movement of water. And you're going to say, that is such a strange thing for Carmen to be talking about today. I'm going to talk about what it is like to live in the wake of something like the death of George Floyd. We are now living in the wake of his death. And in the same way that your life creates a wake, Everything that you are doing today actually influences and impacts others. Um, you, you are significant, and your movement through the world, through the day, creates a wake. Hopefully, we are creating a positive wake uh, that buoys other people, not that swamps them. But a wake is cut into placid water, and the deeper the wake is cut, the further it extends and the more disruptive it is. There is a, there's a reason we use the word unrest um, to describe what's going on. It has disrupted the peace. Um, others would say uh, the peace was not a real peace because it wasn't, it wasn't real peace for everyone. It was just the illusion of peace for those who were affluent and white. Let me just tell you, that's the conversation that's going on in America right now. For those of you who uh, who went to bed early last evening or shut the news off, which I completely understand, just after 10 p.m. local time last night, a live stream video showed protesters entering the Minneapolis 3rd Precinct Police Station. Uh, it shows the police being forced to abandon their post, not, not I think, uh, out of anything other than an abundance of, of caution, of not desiring to be in direct violent conflict with protesters. Uh, Earlier in the day, Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz had activated the National Guard at the Minneapolis mayor's request. However, uh, it does not appear that the Guard was actually deployed until um, sometime after the 10 o'clock hour last night. The Guard has announced that their key objective was to make sure that the fire department could respond to calls. Um, And... uh, 
And yet, as you watch the videos from last night, um, there's there's there are no emergency vehicles anywhere to be seen. Nowhere. No fire crews. And that's in part because the assistant fire chief, Brian Tyner, said that fire crews could not safely respond to fires at the precinct station or in the surrounding community. Now, just think about that for a moment. The police were forced to abandon the third precinct in the city of Minneapolis. And the fire department was unable to respond to the fires that the protesters were setting. I'm going to use the word protesters today. I'm choosing that word. Lots of other people are going to use other words that um, you need to pay attention to. And let's just remember that words matter. Are they demonstrating? Yes. Are they protesting? Yes. Are they rioting? Some of them. Are they looting? Yes. Is it wrong? That part of it? Yes. Uh, Here's a headline this morning. In St. Paul, clouds of smoke hang in the air. Clouds of smoke hang in the air. Um, There's a pall, not only over the city, because this wake has extended across the country. At the top of the second hour, we are going to spend our time talking about the wake that is created, not only by the death of George Floyd, but I am also going to talk about the positive wake created by his life. That's a story you're probably not likely to hear in the secular media today because it's a story of a life given to Christ. My first conversation partner this morning is Matthew Hawkins. He and I are not going to focus on the George Floyd conversation. We're going to talk about truth and the matter of truth and why truth matters. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Matthew Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can also find him online, Matthew T. Hawkins. Excellent podcast that he is engaged in, helping us uh, engage in conversations with our Muslim neighbors. Uh, just love crossing faith. Thank you. So, um, hey, welcome back, man. Thank you. What a what a morning. What a week. I know. So weird. Okay, so welcome last week. Huh? I know. You and I are not going to talk about George Floyd. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah. Okay, so last week, um, one of the things that we did talk about was the second anniversary of your heart attack. And yes. um, I had I had no way of anticipating uh, Friday during our conversation <laughs> that my 82-year-old mom would have a heart attack on Monday, right? Like, that's just Oh, my not, goodness, Carmen. I, 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 well, okay, yeah. so COVID, COVID, right? Like, COVID-19, crazy world we live in. I'm not with her, right? Because right. I can't be. Ugh. But she had a triple bypass yesterday, and um, those who are listening uh, faithfully prayed with me during because she was in surgery while we were on air yesterday, and I was talking with listeners oh, about how weird goodness. that was. Like, it's so weird to be on air talking about other stuff. And um, so anyway, I just yeah. wanted to have I'm, I'm using I'm using my connection to you and the experience of a heart attack <laughs> to be able to tell everybody that my mom's good. Um, she's uh, okay. her heart is good. strong. The bypass was successful. She is uh, in the ICU, but that's where you're supposed to be at this point. And um, so anyway, right. all signs are uh, thumbs up. For Ruth Ann. So thank everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for praying. All right. So there you go, Matt. And yeah, <laughs> prayers for Ruth Ann for sure. Solidarity. There's my, seg- my segue into a conversation that with you is, uh, today. Not, that recovery is not fun. Uh, I'm, we haven't told her that yet. Okay. So, right. Um, right. Just thankful to be alive. That's what we're focusing on. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the truth. Um, the yeah. truth is, according to uh, the Washington Post editor who 
um, addressed Harvard grads. Uh, the yeah. truth is a matter of life and death. Now, that sounds like something that you or I, who are like, you know, truth fanatics, would have said. It's a little surprising sure. um, that it's coming from this particular source. So let's talk about the truth. Yeah. So you have um, <clears throat> uh, Washington Post executive editor Marty Baron addressing the 2020 class, graduating class from Harvard. Okay. So. You know, in this grand scope of American culture, this is, you know, not, not, not slouches. To find a point on it. Yeah, not slouches. Uh, some might call them, you know, the journalist, the journalistic uh, East Coast elite addressing the uh, intellectual <laughs> East Coast elite. So this is the context. And of course, it's 2020 and it's a pandemic. And so he's doing this commencement address from from his home. Um, and look, uh, on the face of it, there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, he opens up with uh, the whole commencement addresses. He opens up with saying, I would like to discuss with you the need for commitment to facts and truth. And of course, the slogan in the Trump era for The Washington Post is the is that democracy dies in darkness. And uh, that started pretty early in the Trump administration. Um, if not, if not before and, uh, the Washington post, look, I, I read a lot of stuff in the Washington post. I have, uh, I know some of the reporters there and on, you know, on the whole, it's, it's a worthy source of news. Um, but it is ironic, uh, <laughs> for me, Carmen to, to read, um, uh, such, such a tome on truth from a mainstream media uh, outlet like this. Um, look, I, I'm not one that gets caught up in, uh, fake news and, and, uh, media bias and all that kind of stuff, but we have to recognize that part of the problem, part of the reason we have the problem with fake news and, you know, this constant war between a presidential administration and the mainstream press or a lot of press at this point is because for decades we had, um, a journalist, class of folks who uh, were completely unaware of their own biases uh, and that were very different from large segments of the American uh, populace. And uh, people are skeptical. People don't trust a lot of news sources, a lot of news sources that used to be credible, maybe still are professionally credible. Um, and to not see any treatment um, in this commencement address from the Washington Post editor was pretty ironic. Uh, that was kind of my that was kind of my takeaway. Um, right, I kind of and look. I, is well, that, I this would be the other thing that I would I want maybe us to help people um, sort through or filter through. Um, when when you talk about a need for uh, a commitment to facts and truth, you are acknowledging yeah. that there's at least a subtle difference between the two. I would say right. that truth is more than just the facts, um, and mm -hmm. where truth might be um, or where facts might be, a, we might be able to agree on the facts of something in terms of the who, what, when, where, but the why, right. the truth of the matter is is what's right. in play. And so I think yeah. that um, I want people to consider that. I want people to consider that there's a nuanced difference between our ability to agree on the facts of something and the truth of the matter or the wisdom required to actually um, evaluate the facts in a way that uh, is meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. And then the, the editor's treatment here uh, talks about facts and truth. Um, 
but he doesn't so much. I don't think he necessarily explains the difference. I think he just no. I don't know that he sees the Uh, difference. Yeah, yeah. So he he uses them often in pairs uh, or often as a pair. Uh, But you're right. He doesn't really uh, enunciate the difference, and that that's interesting to me. Um, uh, Because part of you know part of evaluating facts and truth are you know trying to figure out what our own blind spots are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you just in the, in the George Floyd situation here in the Minneapolis riots, right? It's, uh, that it is, it's part of the, that's part of the story It's figuring out where, what are we not seeing, right? Um, what are we not seeing in the case of, uh, justice for our African-American brothers and sisters? Um, that takes, that takes a little bit of, uh, self-reflection and frankly, a lot of listening, um, for us as in this case, you know, white Americans who don't see, um, uh, you know, breaches of justice and you know, systematic injustices and that kind of thing. We we got to you know open our eyes a little bit, and uh, part of that includes reviewing facts that we're not aware of, um, and part of it you know includes listening to folks that were who are living lives that we're unfamiliar with. Um, and I think that ought to apply to the journalistic class too. Uh, and I think part of the predicament Americans are in with respect to fake news and media and uh, distrust and this perpetual war between the president and, and the press. Um, I think uh, the the burden there, uh, the, a lot of it rests on, on journalism um, and, and, the, and the practices of, um, of journalists. And again, I say that knowing a lot of great journalists, um, uh, but I'd like to see a little more self-reflection um, on, on the I mean, you know, and he mentions it, you know, down towards the bottom, he, he gives a, a pair about a paragraph on, on mistakes. Uh, but still those mistakes are reflected on, uh, you know, capturing facts incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no mention of, um, of a biased perspective. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, it, it's, that's my reaction to this commencement yeah. address. It's, it's both, yeah, you're right, but there's a big, there's thing. more there than you're, it's, than you're I mean, acknowledging. An, yeah. yeah. There's so an elephant um, in the room that he yeah, could have been exactly. acknowledging. Um, Matt and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation, but we're going to take a bit of a pivot. Um, And we're going to talk about perspective, um, because the perspective that you have on something actually determines what you see. And so are you a theist or are you a non-theist as you approach uh, the conversations of the day, the facts in front of you? Uh, if you think it's a closed system and and therefore only the empirical evidence matters, um, then you're taking a non-theistic approach to everything. Uh, For those of us who are operating out of a Christian worldview or biblical worldview or a redemptive gospel worldview, we are theists, and that matters, and it matters in every single one of these conversations. So Matt Hawkins and I are going to talk about that, the real divide being between theists and non-theists, up next. Returning to my conversation with Matt Hawkins, you can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can also find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Let's talk about the real divide. The real divide, uh, Matt, yeah. in everything is really between the theists and the non-theists. And I'm not, and yeah. not going to go so far as to say it's exclusive to Christians. Like, I'm, I really want us to have yeah, a, right. a theistic versus non-theistic. And again, I'm sort of avoiding right. the atheistic category because I think that's a subcategory of non-theists. Um, it is. Uh, so, so let's just sort of talk in this, in this area, in this realm. The the people who yeah. operate out of theistic worldviews um, versus people who are operating out of non-theistic worldviews, and that crowd is really the nuns. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so the, the one, of, one of the big stories in religion in, in the last few years, um, maybe a decade or so, um, has been the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, not to be confused with N-U-N-S. Um, and uh, that plays out in some interesting ways, Carmen, uh, and I think you see it. Uh, one of those ways um, that I see it is uh, it's something that's upstream from a topic that we frequently discuss, which is religious freedom. And so uh, in this country, we, appre- we appreciate broad freedoms of the, the exercise of religion as codified in our Constitution. Um, it's something we affirm as Christians. And uh, that was hard fought for, for many, many years um, in, in the world history. And uh, it's not uh, often, thankfully, most of the time here in the States, it's peaceful, but it's often legal. Uh, there are often legal battles uh, for the sake of religious freedom. Uh, but if you are a person... Uh, or say a group of people who don't practice religion, if you're nuns, if you don't um, check the box on, say, uh, a survey from Pew or Gallup about which kind of uh, organized religion um, you uh, participate in, you're not getting up on, you know, you're not going to church on Sunday, you're not going to to a mosque on Friday, you're not going to synagogue on Saturday, you know, fill in the blank. all of a sudden, your appreciation for religious freedom uh, naturally, I think, uh, declines. And so when others assert um, a right to the freedom of religion, uh, you're going to be a little less sensitized to those causes. Um, so that's a concern of mine. Um, on the, certainly as a Christian, we wish that, that all would come to the faith and, and uh, salvation through Christ. Um, but culturally speaking, we have to be a little concerned when an entire culture shifts away from um, religious practice um, because it will trickle down um, in not great ways to our practice of religious freedom because people just won't have a category for it uh, in the way that um, Americans had in previous generations. So that's a concern of mine, number one. Um, do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I also uh, I thought I thought what you were going to say was not only does it affect, you know, sort of our review, our our view of religious liberty, but it also um, trickles down or forms our conscience. And I think that yeah. one of the things we're seeing in in our nation right now is the fruit, the byproduct of consciences, police officers who don't apparently have a conscience so fully formed um, to know when to take their knee off of a person's mm-hmm. neck, and um, yeah. people whose consciences are not sufficiently formed in terms of a worldview that would say there is there is a righteous way to demonstrate yeah. your anger and protest, and there are ways that are inappropriate to do that. And the line between yeah. those two um, is that which is destructive to your own community. I mean, once you've devolved to a place where you're just destructive to your own community, right, you are you're sort of bearing out witness against yourself that your conscience, your your rightly formed justice seeking conscience um, is not sufficiently formed to prohibit you to keep you from stepping over the line. Right. And so what we're seeing often in some of these riots are. It's the it's it's an untrained let's use that word, untrained expression of a desire for justice, right? So absolutely. there's a morality the, the, at play the desire here, for right? The desire for justice sure. is absolutely righteous. Absolutely. Um, 
but there's not a hasn't been and not not to say that all, all these protesters are not theists no, necessarily no. i don't want to conflate that but uh there's exactly. an impulse here that we would affirm we like we were firm the desire Absolutely. for justice and 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 outrage when it doesn't occur but um, burning down but, the police station in your own neighborhood and and, yeah. and and you know and sacking the stores that where your people are you know going to tomorrow need to buy groceries like I, so that's sure. the part that i yeah. think is really hard yeah it's it's tough and and as christians living in this in this place um part part of what's odd to people um and uh you can see this particularly you know among more secular secularized communities uh it's not even it's difficult to even talk about Jesus and uh, Christian morality and and that kind of thing because people can't conceive of non theists often can't conceive of ordering your life according to an ancient book so you have to start like you have to do some real heavy presuppositional work uh, to even discuss the consideration um, before you even get to what you know the truth of the Bible and the truth claims of it it's why do you even care about an ancient book uh, ordering your life around it um, and so there I think we're going to continue to see the fruit of kind of this divide between theist and non-theist in different different ways um, the other thing I would I would comment on is uh, we do see uh, and on the one hand I tell people don't fear atheists <laughs> okay uh, they're not nearly most atheists and certainly not most non-theists are not nearly as anti-religion uh, as some of the uh, the pro- provocateurs in the media um, or atheists that have voices um, but you do need to get we do need to keep atheist advocacy groups uh, in check because sometimes they'll take that increased none category, say 20% of a population, and, and they claim will it. try to claim it yeah. all as atheists, right? And that's all not right. The you case. and I, it's I'm so sorry. Attitude. You and I, you and I got to leave it right there. We're we're up no on problem. a hard break. Hey, thanks so much, Matt. We we appreciate talking to you every week. Uh, we'll be right back. Happy to do it. Thanks. All right, you're going to wonder in this next conversation why D.A. Horton and I do not address specifically the issues related to George Floyd. That's because we um, we recorded this conversation at the end of last week prior to the events of this week. But never has there been a conversation or a book more relevant to a moment in time than this conversation and this book. Uh, here's the setup. So the book is called Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. Uh, D.A. Horton is really challenging us to set aside ideas of of racism and even the language of racial reconciliation and instead embrace kingdom ethnicity and and just recognize that um, the only hope, the only hope, the only hope that we have um, to heal our land and to live in peace with one another is Jesus Christ. So the hope of Jesus Christ in the book Intentional, the pastor D.A. Horton up next. I do have five copies. If you're interested, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Do you find yourself disappointed at times? Like you can't measure up to your expectations? You're probably rolling your eyes right now thinking, of course, life is hard. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Yes, life is difficult. And in the failures, the struggles, the blunders, we're kept authentic. I run into many parents who want the world to think their family is perfect. And the kids in that family unit grow up learning that hardship and struggle are synonymous with failure and should be avoided at all costs. The better angle is this. 
the hard stuff yields some of the most profound growth in the long run. So keep it real in your family, okay? Let's not try to breed perfectionists. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Well, welcome back. I am thrilled to be joined today by D.A. Horton. Um, I'm going to describe D.A. as a pastor and a, an author, a father, a husband, uh, a fellow brother in Christ. He might describe himself as a Mexican Choctaw American church planter. D.A., welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's so wonderful to be with you. The last time that um, that I can recall you and I talking together on air was in 2016. And at that point in time, um, we were in a very different place in terms of um, our conversations in America because we had not yet elected the current president. Um, mm-hmm. And and the conversations that have uh, been a part of the texture of the Christian community, particular, particularly in evangelical Christianity, um, I think have become even more complex uh, in those subsequent years. So I'm really appreciating your book, Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. So thank you for joining us to talk about it. Yeah, my, my privilege. It really is. So um, the last time that you and I talked, we, we talked about a lot of tensions. I mean, a lot of tensions. And <laughs> I appreciate that one of the things that you're doing in this book is helping us move from just the recognition that there's a lot of tension to something that is intentional. So talk about that sort of shift. Yeah, I think when we recognize the fact that there's just so many nuances in life, so many tensions, uh, you know, we can find ourselves just drowning in anxiety. Uh, We can even be paralyzed by fear, anger, and all the human emotions that we feel. And then I think uh, just looking at the body of Christ, we have to recognize that, you know, Jesus has given us our marching orders. He has given us the command to make disciples, to teach every Jesus follower, how to observe and obey the commands that Christ has given us. So the blessed opportunity that we have as the body of Christ is to look at the framework of Scripture and to not deny that there's tension in our fallen and broken world, but at the same time recognize that we we realize that at the end of human history, Christ is ruling and reigning. And so we want to be a snapshot of what that rule and reign looks like so that it would give us a stronger appeal to the non-believer who does not know about Christ to look at the way that we govern ourselves, the way that we converse, the way that we're navigating through all the various tensions, yet with hope and with the aspect that Christ is going to make all things new. And so we as believers in Christ have to navigate with that hope, even though we dwell in the midst of of hopelessness. And that's the goal for intentional is for every believer, no matter where you're from, what your ethnic heritage is, uh, to give us some some handles on how we can move the conversation forward so that prayerfully we can regain our salt and our light for our witness for the glory of Christ. Whoo. Right. I'm going to pause there for just a moment, because if my heart's desire, if my hope is to gain glory for Christ and to to the only glory I'm ever going to really enjoy is glory in Christ. Right. You are you are having me look at you are having me concern myself with things that are literally not of this world. Talk mm-hmm. about talk about the kingdom. Um, and and then I want us to 
be sure we focus in when we use that language to focus in um, on the fact that it's easy for us to talk about kingdom Christianity when we're talking about global Christianity, but you are really talking about us right here in the United States of America with all of the tensions that we experience with one another, manifesting the reality of kingdom, kingdom principles and kingdom family um, right here, right now. Absolutely. You know, when we think about the kingdom of God, that's just the rule and the reign of our Savior. And I think that we as the church, uh, and that's every Jesus follower, no matter what your denomination is, if you've embraced Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Uh, so so you're the one I'm speaking to, uh, that we have been given uh, a prime opportunity to be what what we would call a trailer for the coming kingdom. You know, before, <laughs> before uh, we all went into quarantine, uh, and I know that some states are reopening, uh, we, we used to go to the movie theater a lot as a family, even dates, my wife and I. And before every feature film, there are trailers. There's these two-minute teasers to get you to say, Hollywood, here's my money. And the reality of that trailer is to make it appealing enough for the consumer to then spend their hard-earned money to watch that full-length feature film. Well, in a greater way, uh, we as the body of Christ, specifically here in America where all these tensions exist, we are to be that two-minute trailer of what the coming kingdom is going to look like. Not so that people would say, here's my money, but rather they would say, Christ, here's my heart, and I want to be a part of your rule and your reign, which is for a greater way, the the uh, parallel is the, the feature film, that it's the never-ending kingdom of God. It's not going to last for two hours. It's throughout all of eternity. And so we as the body of Christ have to learn how to engage in the conversation for flourishing holistically in our lives. That means uh, in the spaces that we live in, that means in our personal walk with Christ, in the way that we engage conversationally, the way that we're loving our neighbors, the way that we are speaking well of uh, our other brothers and sisters in Christ, and at the same time having meaningful relationships. So again, the world will look at us and they will see people from both genders. They'll see people from various social classes. They'll see people from various ethnicities that really don't have a lot in common outside of the fact that we all confess Christ is our Savior and Lord. And that is what Christ was praying for in John 17, that we would be one so that the world would believe. It's not that we have to have everyone vote the same, everyone look the same, everyone do everything the same, but rather recognize that there is distinction that God has given us. And we don't lose that individuality, but at the same time, when we come together, we are saying that Christ is our our chief Lord. He is the one that we worship. We submit all of our distinctions and diversities and even disagreements to him, and we take up our marching orders together to make disciples and make Christ known. All right. I am talking with D.A. Horton. We are talking about intentional kingdom ethnicity in a divided world. And we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with author, speaker and uh, general kingdom provocateur uh, D.A. Horton. His book is Intentional. The word tension highlighted right in the middle there. Intentional kingdom ethnicity in a divided world. Um, The book from uh, from beginning to end. It really, I think, is summed up at the uh, with this phrase that you use, becoming a brochure for heaven. And when I think about, um, I have heard that said uh, by other people as um, you and I are provisional demonstration of the gospel, right? 
But yeah. becoming a brochure for heaven is a much more simple way of saying it. So if you and I, if you and I individually and together are going to become a brochure for heaven, in fact, I can't do it individually. It is a brochure for heaven requires all parts of the body. And so between here and the point where we have produced that brochure in a, in a way that Jesus himself would recognize as, um, as good advertising, as authentically living it out, as really showing people. So between here and there, how do we actually find or create the images and the language that will go into the brochure? You see what I'm doing? I'm looking for those pieces. I'm looking for, it's one thing to have a, a brochure that's a finished product. It's another thing to, to be in a position to be one of the people who recognizes that the way that I live and the way that I live alongside others and with others is actually producing the pictures and the language that's going to end up in the brochure. And so how do we do that? Absolutely. You know, um, I think that Jesus has saved us so that we could be seen. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we have to be visible witnesses uh, of what kingdom life looks like. And some of the ways that I break it down for the readers and intentional is through acronyms. And I just think of one way, you know, um, uh, the, just the acronym human, uh, looking at the fact that each of us uh, live in a habitat with social spaces. I think what we as kingdom citizens must look to do is address the issues that are working against human flourishing in the homes and our community, uh, against uh, the flourishing of relationships in our churches, our community, our city, our nation, our world. I think that we need to be a prophetic uh, you know, voice uh, centering uh, the content of what we're saying uh, from the words of God and scripture. But it's not just about the social spaces that we inhabit. It's also our understanding, our intellect. I think we have to do a good job of learning church history. We have to recognize, specifically in America, that our faith did not start in 1776. It didn't start in 1492. We're talking about a corridor of three millennia of of narratives, of documented sources of Christian movements and navigations through the tensions of society for over three millennia and what that looked like so that we can learn from our fathers and mothers of the faith and make it visible today, contextualized to where we're living. Um, we also have to look at how do we meet the needs of the material physical bodies of people, acknowledging that there's dietary needs, that people need clothing, exercise, employment, um, opportunities for fair wages, hygiene, religion or a righteous sexual expression and affordable housing i think when the church begins to recognize that we can be prophetic and we can be agents of god's shalom his peace in these spaces even the emotions the affections of people with mental illnesses on the rise stress factors there's various expressions of abuse from emotional to sexual spiritual and verbal like we have the word of God, which is the healing salve for the human bleeding heart, and even the non-material parts of the human being, the soul, recognizing that uh, we, as image bearers of God, can be reconciled to our creator through Christ alone. And when we take that holistic framework, I think that's the content, that's the snapshots, that's that's the 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 uh, the filling in of the brochure, if you will, to say that Christ is about redeeming the whole of the human being, not just our soul and not just our theology, but our emotions, our physical bodies, and what it looks like to live righteously under the lordship of Christ. All right, for those of you who have feverishly been trying to take notes and find the acronym HUMAN in all of that, uh, it is in the appendix, human, habitat, social spaces, understanding, the intellect, material, the physical body, affection, the emotions, 
non-material, the spiritual. Um, DA, my, uh, my listeners know I love appendices, and I love the appendix in intentional. Um, it is uh, several acronyms. So uh, the acronym ABLE, the acronym FABRIC, HUMAN, PACE, and RAPID. Um, so, I, first of all, I just want to say I really appreciate that they are collected for me in a way that I can just easily turn to them and remind myself um, of the of the points. I just really yeah. appreciate that they're that they're just aggregated there in a really um, simple way. Um, talk with me about um, the sin of partiality and the vital practice of affirmation, because I felt like in the book that. Those two chapters, the sin of partiality and then the vital practice of affirmation, I feel like they go together. And then I also feel like it's it's sort of the heart of what we have to understand in order to get to the place where we become this brochure for heaven. Absolutely. So earlier in the book, uh, as I set up the dialogue for the heart of the content, you're exactly right. Um, I give the the distinction both biblically and historically uh, regarding uh, the tension between the terms ethnicity and race. So uh, just a 30,000-foot view to set up the answer to your question, um, I think that when we look at not just human history, but we look at the scriptures, um, we should be advocates of ethnicity, not what has been socially constructed as the term race. The reason that is, is because when we look at scripture, we all have the same father and mother, Adam and Eve. So there is one race, the human race, but that human race does not lead to the teaching that has been popularized known as colorblindedness, where it automatically erases the ethnicity of the individuals. So there are different ethnic heritages within this one human race. Even the gospel sets up this truth, because if we say that people can be reconciled to God, uh, there has to be a point of conciliation before reconciliation can take place. And that's why in intentional, I, I frame the conversation around uh, the ministry work of what I call ethnic conciliation as opposed to racial reconciliation, because if there's not multiple races, there's only one race, then you can't uh, reconcile what, when there's only already one. But then the reality of ethnicities is there's a multitude of ethnicities on planet Earth, and we need to recognize that, okay, so when in American history has there been a point of conciliation? Conciliation is achieved when there is no animosity, when there is no distrust, when there is no hostility. Well, that's never happened in American history in mass with the various ethnic heritages here on the American soil. So what we have to say is, okay, we need to focus on conciliation. And I think Jesus's finished work actually has spiritually already accomplished that, but now it is the church's role to make that practically visible. So all of that to say, when we lead to the whole dynamic of racism, that phrase, I'm trying to call the body of Christ to use new language, basically, so that we can recognize that if people say, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you're a racist, anybody can wiggle out of being called a racist, even people of color, such as myself. We could say, no, I can't be, I never technically can be racist because racism is an establishment of power and privilege. I've never had power and privilege, so I te technically can't be racist. So people can wiggle out of that. That, that. that term is a powder keg in itself. So what I say is, okay, let's stop calling it racism when there's only one race. Let's now call it the sin of partiality, because now it doesn't matter what ethnic heritage, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter what social class. This is the condition of the fallen, broken human heart that every human being is susceptible to practice. So we have to now say, OK, if God does not show partiality, 
then showing partiality is not a reflection of his character. If I'm made in his image, I'm, I'm made to reflect him. So I need to rid myself from the various expressions of partiality. And I even in the book talk about how I have been guilty of the sin of partiality. And so I think that when we begin to name it, now we begin to recognize it as a legitimate biblical identified sin. And when we do that, we have church discipline to deal with it. And if we're trying to hide it, we have the Lord's Supper. So so there's no wiggle room. Either I'm going to deny taking the Lord's Supper because I know that there's this sin that I need to deal with and that I have to surrender to God and seek reconciliation interpersonally with my fellow brother and sister, or uh, I'm going to be put under church discipline for this. There's no there's no middle ground. And so I think that the body of Christ, we have to take this approach so that, again, we can regain our witness. And as we do that, I think with us confessing the sin of partiality, receiving forgiveness, that's going to lead us to stronger, meaningful relationships, spiritual vitality. And again, it's going to give us a stronger witness to the world so that we can be those brochures of heaven. That is D.A. Horton. You can find him online at dahorton.com. His latest book, Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. Uh, D.A., thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. So I hope we learned a lot from our conversation with D.A. Horton. Again, you can find him online at dahorton.com. I do have copies of the book, Intentional, available to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Let's learn some new language. Let's recognize the sin of partiality. Let's focus not on racial reconciliation. Let's focus on ethnic conciliation, a world in which there would be no animosity, no distrust, and no fear of one another because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. How does that sound to you today? That sounds pretty good to me today. Um, I think we need this. I think we need these practical guidelines on how to become these living brochures, these living testimonies uh, of the king and the kingdom right here, right now in the United States of America in the face of, uh, of all that is in front of us. We've got a whole nother hour coming up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.